so where we are is the apostle pointing us to uh, Romans 7 where where he and, and it's really wonderful if you're not familiar with Romans at all uh, Romans 7 and Romans 8 are these just amazing powerful depictions of Christian life uh, after I have become a Christian why am I still struggling with sin and so that's Romans 7 and he and he comes to this really this boiling point where he's like oh wretched man that I am at the end of Romans 7 who will deliver me from this body of sin and then chapter 8 is the answer and so that's where we are we're in the middle of this answer who will deliver me from this body of sin how will this indwelling sin these thoughts these attitudes how how will they be overcome how will this wrestling with the lord how will this wrestling even with myself and and who as a created being and the glory of god i'm supposed to be how will god fix it and really that's romans 8 in the first section talked about at the introduction it starts with this beautiful declaration for christians all christians worldwide romans 8 1 is god's declaration concerning you that there is no condemnation for those in christ jesus it's a beautiful answer who will rescue me jesus will rescue you who will rescue me god will rescue me through the work of his son how will i become rescued god the spirit will come into your heart into your mind and he will make things clear and he will draw you to himself. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he says now that now we have this walk in the spirit, but there is still that old life. There's still that old sin that is indwelling with us. And, and you'll be tempted to walk in the way, he says, of, of the flesh. Walk in the way of the flesh, my feelings, my emotions, my physical cravings to walk in that way will be a temptation, O Christian. And so then the next section says, but, but we have the Spirit. The Spirit is in us. It indwells us. Not only is sin indwelling and fighting, but God's Spirit is indwelling in us. And so he says we, we, we have to pray that the Spirit would change our minds, that our mind would be set. And then we come uh, to chapter 9. And so it was interesting. I've talked about this before to look at the pronouns. So in, in 7, uh, when Paul uh, when the writer is talking about sin, he's like, rest, you know, sinful man that I am. I mean, he is actually, he's talking about himself. And this letter that was to be published and transferred all over, he wanted all those people in those churches he planted to know that even as an apostle, I wrestle with sin. And so it's very, very personal. You get this peek into Paul's prayer of confession to the Lord and so it's all I, me, who will rescue me? And then in, in chapter 8, it's those, it's you. But then verse 5, those who live. It's the third person, those who live. And I feel like once you get to verse 9, uh, as you're reading it, or if you're sitting there listening to the apostle preaching the sermon, it's almost like you want to say, hey, wait, 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 wait. What about me? What about me? And, and again, it depends on where you are in the moment. Are you as a Christian person feeling like I have been led by this flesh? I've given in. I'm tired of fighting. Or I've been led by the Spirit. What about you? And so it is another beautiful pronouncement that he makes in verses 9 through 11. And again, think of this question. Who will rescue me? 
who will rescue me? I think I told you I was a youth pastor when the movie The Titanic came out, and it was nothing like it. Okay, I, I had not experienced anything like the Titanic as far as the, the way it just grabbed the youth. They just watched it over and over and over again. In fact, I did this test one time. I was using it as an illustration, and I said, you know the main character, John, and every girl in the youth group said, Jack! <laughs> I was like, gotcha. Uh, I had him stand up, you know. Stand up if you've seen it once, twice. You know, you know, sit down. Sit down if you've not seen it more than three times. I mean, it was, it was this huge thing. But there was a line in there that just frustrated me so much. When Rose is sitting there as an old woman telling her story, I'm sure you know what line it is. And she says, he saved me in every way that a person can be saved. So even if you're not a believer, there is that sense inside. I want to be rescued. I want to be saved. And people will throw their money and their time and their efforts and all those things that will, in some sense, make them feel right. And so we get to this portion, and it's like they're saying, uh, you know, there's this mindset of the spirit. There's a mindset of the flesh. There's a walk of the flesh. There's a walk of the spirit. How do I know? How, how do I know? And so that's, I think, where we are here in verse 9. So if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, Romans 8, 9 through 11. <clears throat> you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Uh, you know, if you're around the dinner table with a whole bunch of folks in Grove, Oklahoma, uh, and you're meeting new folks, you know, most, most people know kind of the culturally acceptable questions to ask, right? You're, 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 you bring your brother, your uncle to Three Rivers, and uh, they get to meet the pastor and his wife, and, and the pastor goes, hey, you know, what am I going to ask? I'm going to ask, hey, hey George, uh, what do you do? Right? That's an easy question, right? That's safe. Okay? We can, we can pretty much ask people that. What do you do? You know, unless the guy's just been fired, right? Or, you know, you didn't know this, but he just got, right? But, but that's pretty, pretty, well, where do you live, right? And St. Louis, it's, it's interesting. If you ever go visit people in St. Louis, they will ask you, what high school did you go to? The craziest thing. And when you answer that, you can see in their minds that, oh, you went to Parkway Central, Oh, you were at Kirkwood, huh? In their minds, they are, they are filling in all the blanks. It's their easiest way to judge you, right there, you know? Uh, where do you go to high school? You know what we don't ask? We usually don't ask political questions, right? Who did you vote for? Why? Don't usually ask that, because, you know, that's... We don't usually ask religion questions. Let me tell you one thing you don't ask in Grove, America. Are you a Christian? 
How do you know? How do you know? Would the person working in the cubicle next to you, if I asked them, hey, you know, is George a Christian? Well, sure he is. I mean, he ain't Buddhist. Sure he is. He ain't, he ain't Muslim. Yeah, all, all of us here are Christians. Really? How do you know? And it's an interesting thing because people will answer that in all different ways. And I've told you before that when I get called to do a funeral for a, a person I don't know, that there's, there's always this interesting thing where they're, they're trying to convince me that old Uncle Fred is with Jesus, right? They're just like, I, like I'm the one that holds the keys. And if I, if I preach the sermon right and the funeral right, then he's going to go there. Um, but how do we answer that question? And so that's what they're saying. What about us? What about us? And Apostle Paul says, you, you, however, you're in the Spirit if Christ dwells in you. Now that creates another whole issue of questions, especially, again, in our culture, right? I mean, uh, the word spirit-filled, right? When we hear that's a loaded term, isn't it? I remember as a little kid, I was a little kid sitting in a Presbyterian church, and we had this guy from Australia come and preach. And oh, was he amazing. I mean, he was just, he was just amazing. And there was this lady sitting next to me. She goes, you know what? That guy's spirit-filled. I was like, my daddy preaches here every other Sunday. What are you saying about him? <laughs> right? What are you saying about him? That, that guy right there, he's spirit-filled. Um... And so if the answer to the question, do I belong to Jesus? Do I get all these claims? Do they count for me? How do I know? The answer is, does the Spirit of Christ dwell in you? And, and, and so um, the way we answer that question, uh, sometimes people will answer it, well, and this is, this is what I hear a lot. I, I really try to be good, and I go to church. Uh, I was I was baptized and I said the sinner's prayer, uh, you know, and we talked about that. Sometimes we treat that sinner's prayer like it's a magic spell that once pronounced, uh, it will never be rescinded. And if you tap your heels three times and you say it with a couple of tears, then you're you are good to go for eternity, right? But how 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 do you know? How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? And again, in our community. That's going to be answered in different ways, right? You'll, you'll have people that will say, I'm not going to go and listen to a preacher who doesn't speak in those holy tongues, right? I, I know I can trust this person. I know he's filled with the Spirit because he speaks in some weird language. So therefore, I know. Yeah, not, not true. What does Jesus say? On that day, there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not perform many miracles in your name? And the Lord will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Now that's a scary verse, isn't it? I mean, you could definitely be sure if someone is doing these uh, healing services and, you know, you bring in Aunt Lucy and, you know, she hasn't walked because the gout in her hip's been bad for 43 years and, and bow, he hits her on the head. She falls on the floor and gets up and starts dancing, right? I mean, you're like, okay, that dude, he's, he's got to, 
He's got to be filled with the Spirit, right? And, and so it creates anxiety in a believer. I, I run into it 30 years as a pastor. I run into that all the time. Uh, especially when a Christian has, has been caught in some sin and, it, and something about getting caught where other people know about it just in, in, in them and the, their hiding of it, it just, it just makes it seem so much worse to them than, than it was before anybody knew. And, and, and I, I may not be a Christian. I may need to be baptized again. And so how are we to know? So we're going to take this week and next week, we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit? And so that's his answer to them, though. What, what about us? Um, if Christ dwells in you, then the Spirit lives in you. How can we be sure that we belong to Jesus? On May 12th, 1995, it's a pretty, pretty amazing day for our country. Um, I'm sure you history scholars know what happened on May 12th, 1995. Uh, Mark Kuyper, Rev, became a U.S. citizen. I'd passed the test, I'd paid the fees, all the background checks and all those things. I went to a federal courthouse uh, and I put my arm up and I was sworn in as a U.S. citizen. My license got changed, my social security number stayed the same. You know, they'll still get you on social security if you're not illegal, you know, they'll still get you. Um, I wasn't illegal, I was on, on a green card. But I have this certificate, I've got it, it's, it's filed in my cabinet. If anybody ever asks, are you a citizen? You, we see you were born in Australia. Are you a citizen? I can pull it out and I can show them. Here it is. Here's the certificate. You know, um, many churches, when someone gets baptized, and I think it's a great thing when a baby gets baptized, you have a certificate of baptism. But that is not what we take to those pearly gates. I was baptized. I went to church. We take with us the Spirit of God. Are you living in the flesh or are you living in the Spirit? The understanding of who the Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is, not what or it, but who. The Holy Spirit is a person. Who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, will that then cause me to be able to handle snakes, speak prophetic words? Will I then finally be sure? Well, um, I, I, I know that desire. I know there, that desire to be kind of for certain. And you know what? In the last years, there has been more anxiety over it. You know why? Because more and more, uh, you may have heard of it, more and more people, or at least it's public, who knows if it's more or not, but are uh, unconverting or deconverting. And you'll run into folks. You know, I followed Jesus my whole life, and now I don't believe in God, and I don't believe in Jesus, and um, I think that religion was oppressive to women and minorities or, or whatever, and they've walked away. And in your own mind, as you're raising up your kids, you're like, how can I keep that from happening? What can I do? Right? And we scramble and we, we, we want that. There can be no greater assurance for a parent. There is no greater happiness, as the scripture says, than to know 
My children are walking with the Lord. And so God gives us the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks, but the Holy Spirit's main job in our lives is to confirm the work of Jesus Christ. The main job of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to make much of Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, there was a man called Simon the Sorcerer, and he was known as the Great Power. And so when uh, Peter comes in and, and people are converted, and they, they lay hands on them, and the Holy Spirit is given to them, we read in verse uh, 17 of chapter 8, they lay hands on them, they receive the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon, this is Simon Peter, this is Simon the sorcerer, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Right? So here is a guy who was uh, working with demons and evil spirits and producing all kinds of signs and wonders, and he notices that the apostles now have come and, and the Holy Spirit is, is given to people, and they're cleansed of their sins, and they're in this community, and he goes to them and he says, dudes, how much do I need to pay you for this? How much do I need to pay you for this? I, I, I really would like this. Not just an interesting thing about Simon, not just I would like to be saved from my sins. No, no, I want to be the person who has that power to give it to others. And again, that's a pagan view of the Spirit. The spirits are these many gods that float around and, and you appease them and they do things for you. And it's horrible for us to treat God the Holy Spirit in that same manner. Um, in verse uh, 20, Peter says to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Simon the sorcerer answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. We must be spirit-filled. God the Holy Spirit is co-eternal with the Father and the Son. He has always been in existence. There was not a time when the Holy Spirit did not exist and was not active. Uh, sometimes we think in Christian circles that the Holy Spirit all of a sudden became active in Acts chapter 2. Um, but the Spirit of God... Uh, leads the people of God in all manner of ways. The Spirit of God is, is the cloud that comes in uh, the temple. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters of creation, is there always with the Father and the Son, co-eternal forever. There was never a time where the Spirit of God did not exist. However, in Scripture, the Spirit gets poured out in certain ways. So you'll read about uh, the Spirit of God coming upon Samson. Right, Samson, the Spirit of God comes upon him for a certain task. Right, and it's an interesting thing because Samson was maybe the worst judge of them all. Right, he 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 just, I mean, his his personal life was in shambles, and then yet when God needed things to happen, the Spirit of God would come upon Samson and he would pick up a jawbone of a donkey and he would slay his enemy. Samson, between the pillars of this great temple. Spirit of God comes upon him. He has great strength. 
right? And so sometimes we talk about being filled with the Spirit. Christians think in those terms, that when I'm filled with the Spirit, I will be able to do. And so we, we, we perseverate on these uh, gifts of the Spirit. I'll be able to do these things as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul lays out in Galatians, here's the fruit of the Spirit. And so as a Christian, I encourage you to look at those things, not these amazing, miraculous things that you can do. You know, I used to, I used to joke as a youth pastor that every once in a while, God the Holy Spirit would uh, fill Captain Youth Minister, and I could do amazing things so that kids would listen. You know, there are several of them. The, my favorite of all times is we're paintballing, and these kids cry out, there's a snake in the woods, and I had this big knife in my car, and I threw it, and it stuck that snake to a tree. And I walked over there like, I've done this a hundred times. And I'm sure that was some miraculous thing that enabled the kids to go, oh, maybe I'll listen to this guy. I don't know. But we think of it in that manner. I, I would say for you as a Christian, you look at the fruit of the Spirit. And again, that's why community is so important. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Um, so we're going to work through these three verses fairly quickly. Um, I, I point you to the various creeds, especially the Nicene Creed, um, because we, we need to understand, uh, we need to know the Holy Spirit. Right? We need to know the Holy Spirit. We, we talk about God the Father, we talk about God the Son, but the Holy Spirit seems to be this, Oh, esoteric thing that we can't figure out. The Nicene Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Third century, four, fourth century A.D. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, and who has spoken through the prophets. The sermon in the sentence this morning is that the hallmark of a Christian is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That comes directly from John Stott's commentary on Romans, the hallmark, the mark, the indication uh, that a person is a Christian is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The distinguishing characteristic of a human being that is a Christian is that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. All manners of things we do to try to discern, but he is saying here that it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1 as he is introducing and he is going on his beautiful, uh, just this beautiful flowing uh, theological statements of God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. When he gets to 13, he's talking about the Holy Spirit in him, right? Not in it, in him, you also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? until we require possession of it. goes on in chapter 5. Don't get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, what do you do? You address one another, he says, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs you sing, and you make melody to the Lord with your heart. Isn't that a beautiful picture? As he takes and he, he compares being intoxicated, what does being intoxicated do? Well, it, it changes, it removes some people's ambitions, makes some people funny, uh, makes other people cranky. It changes them, right? It changes them. And he says, you know, uh, even that desire to change, but 
the Spirit changes everything about you. And your heart has a melody in it. Your heart has a tune in it. It speaks of the glory and the praise of God. Verse 9, the presence of the Holy Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, I want you to look at that verse for a minute and look at the fluidity of the Trinity as it is expressed in that one verse. Uh, The Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God, God the Father, dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. All three working in the life of a believer, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three with same purpose, although different roles in the life of a believer. Uh, in Matthew 16, when Peter confesses the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, when, when Peter says, that, yeah, I know who you are, you are the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, you're the Savior, that's who you are, Jesus immediately says, you're blessed, Peter, because flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you. My Father revealed it to you. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit revealing. Um, If you've placed your trust in Jesus, i got good news for you. The Holy Spirit is in you. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. And I can say that emphatically, as they would say in British, full stop. If you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is in you. There are not two types of Christians. They're, they're, not, they're not the Spirit-filled Christians and the Presbyterians. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is saved, and we cannot call and we will not call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ unless God the Father sends His Spirit to us. God the Father sends His Spirit as He did to Paul the Apostle, as He did to each of us who follow Jesus. He sends His Spirit, and His Spirit regenerates. It takes a heart of stone, it makes it alive. And the first thing that heart of flesh does is cry out, Who will save me? Thanks be to God. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have only done so because the Spirit is in you. No two classes of Christians. Uh, There's not uh, regular Christians and disciples. They're all adopted children. All chosen before the foundation of the world for the glory of God to be His. All appointed, as it said in the preaching of Peter, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed if you have your faith in Christ the spirit of God dwells in you and as Paul said in Ephesians that spirit is as though God has put a, a deposit earnest money into your soul this one belongs to me that's what he says you're not of the flesh but you're of the spirit Uh, And now there's controversy over if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So some of your um, some of your translations may say since or for 
But basically, it's it's like saying, um, uh, you know, our where we live, there's a there's a neighborhood association, right? And it's it's you know you pay your fees and you're supposed to get certain benefits, right? You you don't get those benefits if you feel that you get those benefits because you're in it, and um, and so it's interesting, like in Patricia Island, like uh, oh you pay your fees, oh you get to use that pool. I didn't even have the code for that pool, but it was something that was there. And so he is saying, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, he says, you know, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, which he does, then he is going to do these things. And we'll talk more next week about the things that he will do. But the presence of the Holy Spirit is with every believer. So in Romans 7, when Paul cries out, who will rescue me? He is crying out, oh, Holy Spirit. Rescue me. Oh, Holy Spirit. The promises of the Holy Spirit in verses 10 and 11. Uh, the body of sin is dying. The power of sin in us is dying. And the Spirit will bring life. That's His promise. The Spirit is in you and the Spirit will bring life. I love to fish for trout up in the streams in Colorado. Um, I'm a bit of an um, elitist when it comes to fishing for trout in Oklahoma, you know, where people are shoulder to shoulder and there's a bunch of corn floating around and, you know, they, they, they come right off the truck and onto your line. I, you know, I, I guess I have some pride, but one of the beautiful things about trout is where they live. It's as if trout are the snobbiest of fish in the world. Like you catch them and they almost always die. You just got to be careful. They're, they're, they're wimps. They go all out. But they're the snobbiest fish in the world, right? They want to live in the most beautiful places. Okay, they're not like a catfish that can survive in your coffee cup from Sunday to Sunday. They're, they're these uppity fish that need beauty. They need clear water. They need cool temperatures. They need lots and lots of oxygen. I was fishing in California with a friend for trout, and, and there was a promise of catching a species I'd never caught. California golden trout is supposed to inhabit these high mountain rivers. And so we, we pulled my truck over. I'm like, look at that. And we're, we're looking at this river. I'm like, there's nobody on it, right? And it's maybe the side width of this table. Beautiful flowing stream, just crystal clear. And so we get out and we start casting, casting, walking up and down the shore, casting, casting. I realize I haven't even seen any fish dart back and forth. That's interesting. I'm like, hey, Eric, have you happened to see any fish? He's like, no, no. And so when you're an avid trout fisherman, sometimes, you know, you've got to get down on your hands and feet. And I mean, the, the, the trout may be where Ricky is sitting back there, and you've got to cast from here because if they catch your shadow, they're gone, right? So we're doing all this thing out by the side of a highway. And I'm like, oh, you know, what? I'm going to cross over the river and, and get to the other side. I put my foot in the river, and I am scalded. It was a hot spring. I mean, it was a burning hot spring. I said, hey, Eric, you know why? You know why nobody else is fishing here? They're like, why? Because there ain't no trout here. When the Spirit of God moves into you, he moves into you to make you beautiful. And though the outside of you may look no different from others, the Spirit is at work and chooses to live and dwell 
in the souls of those he is making beautiful for eternity. Um, secondly, this 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 um, purpose is to bring us back to life. It's the deposit given into us that promises a resurrected self. Um, again, our question, why did he descend into hell? Uh, because he suffered in anguish and pain, but he has delivered me from that. Uh, let me just finish here with verse, verse 11. Here's what the Spirit then will do. The Spirit will take our mortal bodies and he will raise them up in Christ. Um, I, I want to just kind of leave you with four things from this concerning the Spirit. Um, but I also want you just to think of these two words at the end where he says, the Spirit will also. Right? So a, a Christian places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we claim the truth that Scripture says about him, who he is, about who God is. Uh, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. I believe in his resurrection from the dead. And so here he is saying that same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead, that gave him a glorified body. And we could talk about this for hours, this glorified body that eats fish and yet can walk through walls. He has given him this glorified body. He goes, he will also. And so we're able to look and say, this previous performance uh, gives me a rational faith, a reasonable faith to believe that this is what he will do. So really four quick things. First of all, don't think that God has abandoned you if you suffer, especially if you suffer physically. But do not for one moment think that if I'm suffering or struggling with a sin, if I have indwelling sin that I'm fighting with, don't think for a minute that God has abandoned you. The fact that it bothers you, the fact that you fight against it, is that the Spirit is, is, is giving you new desires. The Spirit himself is changing your mind. Uh, if your body ails and suffers, and, and uh, Tammy and I, we just noticed it. Like, we get these plans to do this stuff, and then, you know, my knee starts hurting, her back starts hurting, it's hot, you know, and like, we can't do what we did when we were 18, when your body starts failing, right? Don't sweat it. The same spirit who brought Christ back from this brutal, horrifying death and crucifixion will bring us back. Secondly, don't live and judge solely by the external behaviors of others. Don't judge human beings or Christians by what they look like or even what they're struggling with. We tend to do this. We, we tend to, well, you know, I thought they were Christian, but did you see them, you know, whatever it is that is uncool to do as a Christian? Maybe even something sinful. I thought they were Christian, but did you hear them say this or just see them do this? We don't do that. We don't judge by that because the Holy Spirit is working in each and every believer. And in his time, the Holy Spirit is rooting out sin in each believer. And it may be a different timetable. And there may be something even grosser going on in your heart that you've never even noticed. And, and for us to look at the struggle of another person and say, obviously they're not a Christian. Thirdly, pray to the Holy Spirit in your weakness. And I, here, here's, here's a prayer that I personally do to the Holy Spirit. 
dear spirit, I don't want to give up this sinful pattern, this sinful relationship. I don't want to give up this other identity. I don't want to give up my comforts. Holy Spirit, I do not want to surrender everything to Jesus. I really just want him to keep me out of hell and not mess with anything else. Christian, the Spirit is actually on our side. You get that? The Spirit is on our side. The Spirit has the, the loving arms of Christ and the loving arms of God the Father around us and is leading us through and saying, here is what we're going to work on next. Here is what we're going to remove next. And as you, as this idol, as this desire loses its power, you feel the joy and the love of who you're created to be grow. Pray deep prayers. All right, Christians, our prayers should not be boring. They should be deep prayers. Well, we will not fix our hearts. We will not change our desires. God has to do that. That change has to come from inside. Our help has to come from above. Pray to the Spirit in your weakness. And be absolutely, brutally honest. He knows it, but it's good for us. Articulate it and say, this is how I am, and I know this is how I am. And I really, I just don't want to change. I, I kind of want things the way they were. And fourthly, I would say, make sure and treat every other believer as a human being of infinite value to the Father. Make sure you treat every other believer as a person that is indwelt by God's own spirit, set apart by him to be a glorified creature. Um, I'm going to skip. I had a quote. I'll, I'll, I'll send it out on the uh, email from Bishop Handley Mule about that. Uh, but I want to end by one last illustration. Those of you who've been to my house know that my wife, and I asked her permission, is a clean person. Right? She's, she's very, very clean. Uh, you, you might be able to perform surgery in her car right now. Uh, if you went in my car, you might, um, it, it might be a Petri dish. There's all kinds of other things going on. It. But I, I remember just vividly uh, her leaving to go somewhere when the kids were home. And she says, hey, Luke, clean your room. It's like, yes, ma'am. Uh, room's upstairs, and she gets home. She's like, uh, hey, Luke, is your room clean? Yes, ma'am. Is it Luke clean or mommy clean? <laughs> it's like, uh, Luke clean. The Holy Spirit is it's, it's not OCD, it's not a disorder, but the Holy Spirit is obsessive and compulsive about the children of God. He doesn't rest. He intends to clean every nook and cranny and to fill you with every aspect of, of righteous identity in Christ, of righteous image of Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son and Holy Spirit. Oh, we pray you have your way with us. There uh, is a Christian people who have an amazingly, an amazingly 
hopeful attitude about the future. Whatever befalls, the governments come and go, jobs come and go, people come and go, whatever befalls us, you have given your spirit to us. You have deposited your spirit in us. And he will not give up. He will not be thwarted. And he will not make compromise with evil. He will not allow the accuser of the brethren to win the day, but will, with patience, lead your people into the glorious existence that you have called us and that you have prepared us. And now, Father, we ask that you would set apart these elements, that as we take and eat the bread, that the Holy Spirit will impress upon us the truth that Christ's body takes the place of ours, that Christ's blood takes the place of ours, and that we will be declared righteous in your sight for all eternity. And Father, will you feed us on these things that indeed our walk would be by the Spirit, our mindset would be by the Spirit, and that the filling of the Spirit would be evident to all. We ask in Jesus' name.